and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast with Matthew Robinson's gaming group. I am your host, Tom Donnelly. Maddie is currently playing the sequel to It's a Wonderful World called It's Not Really That Wonderful World After All. This is round five, turn eight, and I am joined once again by the Professor Elder. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Great I see to you. be back. Good to have you back. I see you are wearing your Gen Con 2015 shirt there. Yes. Yeah. Little known fact, Elder and Trey and I, were, uh, we, we would be always bunking together at, uh, at Gen Con. <laughs> He was part of the part of the posse, part of the Iocane Productions LARP crew, and then he would he would disappear to play esoteric board games and come and tell us about them. So this week we will be reviewing the newly re-released classic, or about to be re-released classic, from Uva Rosenberg, Aura et Labora. Mm-hmm. And also this round we'll be talking about our favorite things, and this week that favorite thing is resource management. One of the things that most of Elder's favorite games have in common. Is that what you say safe to say? Absolutely. Like your favorite thing? Yep. It's the thing that I look at. It's the first thing I look for. Like I'm I'm actually like trying to figure out how like what's the best source online for like the newest resource management games. Which is interesting because uh, the BGG does not specifically list things as resource management games. It's not a category. It's not a mechanism. It's not, uh, it's in no way, shape or form can you search BGG for that uh, criteria, yep. which is really, really, uh, maybe maybe a bit of an oversight. Mm-hmm. Well, let's start with what we did this week, which means let's talk about game night. On Tuesday, we had uh, six for a long period of time before a seventh person came late in the evening. Uh, So that meant we were looking for a six-player game, and I brought out one of my all-time favorites, Tribune. Played a rousing game of Tribune. We had some people that had never played it before. Is it true that you had never played it before, Elder? I had never played it before. I had heard about it on on the pod, and I was excited to try it, and I'm glad I got a chance to, and it was fun. I enjoyed it. It's a good game. It really is. It's very solid. It's a very interesting design. I mean, it's a, it's in some ways a very simple game. Yeah. You know, it's it's place your workers out, get cards, set collect those cards, and then use them to take over factions, which give you bonuses. Yeah. And yet, between that and all of the other little side battles, you're constantly battling everybody else for every single thing you want to do every moment of the game, and it makes for a very tense, very exciting experience. Yeah. Um, and then we also played, we finished the game uh, the game night off with Avalon. Mm-hmm. Devastating Avalon. Devastating. Yeah. Horrible. Elder yeah. and myself and one other player were the, <laughs> were the spies. We were the, uh, we're the, we're the bad guys. And uh, I think the third person was Jake. Is that right? Yeah. Jake is not a good spy. <laughs> Let's just be clear about that. As, as far as the minions of Mordred go, you know, look. I'm sure hiring for, for Mordred is difficult, right? You, you're not always going to get the cream of the crop, okay? The, yeah. the, the guy just out of Harvard, is, evil school, is not just going to sign up for Mordred. So it was tough. We took it on the chin. We got it down to, what are you supposed to get it down to? Which is a coin flip. It was either yeah. Trey or Jesse was uh, was Merlin. And we basically knew one of them was Merlin and one of them was Percival. And we guessed wrong. Yep. And then on Friday... On Friday, we played. We started off with a little game called Praise, which I'm going to talk about in a second. <laughs> then we moved on to uh, two tables. We did Aura at Labora, 
uh, which we'll be talking about in our review. Mm-hmm. And the other table did Hansa Teutonica and then finished it off with a rousing game of Parks. Mm-hmm. So praise is the, the new thing. Praise is the thing we weren't really uh, aware of. Jennifer brought it and gave it to me as a birthday present, which was very sweet of her. Praise is a game by Megumi Ebi, and the art and the English translation or by Jordan Draper, who we all know mm. from Tokyo Metro, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is a tiny little, it is an earring box yeah. of a game. That's what it is. It's like an, an earring box, pretty small, pretty tiny. The idea is that in Japan, everybody has to be exceedingly polite. And so people give each other false praise all the time because you're trying to always save face for people and make sure that nobody gets too insulted and things like that. So in the game, one person will be the cool, cool person and the cool person has a little cool person, Japanese hipster dude figure, standing figure that's right in front of you. And then everybody else is going to get two cards. They're going to get a big card and a little card. The big card is either going to say, you have to truthfully praise the person, the, the, the cool person, or it is going to have a list of six different things you're going to have to praise that person for that are odds are not true, or at least not genuine in this context. And then the small card is going to give you an emotion or a state that you have to praise that person from, right? It was really, it was, it was surprisingly fun. I had a really good time. Like, can you tell us what one of your what one of your uh, combos was? Because you're gonna roll a die. There's a six sided right. die. You roll that die. So everybody that has to do the fake praise has to look at their card and see. Okay, it's number four. So mm. I have to praise this person for being a shrewd tactician, or I have to praise this person for good hygiene, or you know, whatever the different things. Yeah, mine was to, in a, in a fiery way, my emotion was fiery. <laughs> uh, acknowledge Dimitri was up for um, being the best of us. <laughs> <laughs> I, Which was fun. I remember that so vividly. Like, I, like, I don't know what, the, what, what the, our listeners think, but Elder, you just have this very deep, very calming voice. Like, you could be a hypnotist in a heartbeat. You just have one of these, like... Yeah, well, you know, this is how I, you know, this, this is what I feel about things. And you're you're getting sleepy. And uh, I find that uh, Rosenberg's designs improved, in, you know, and I may have peaked with Glass Road. And on the count of three, you're going to wake up and have no memory of this conversation. I, I, I get that sense. But then in this game, you were on fire. You were just completely. So Jesse is an actor, right? Uh, Aaron, who came and played with us. Uh, actor and they hammed it up like 100%. I would say that you at least equaled them, if not surpassed them. You were like over the top. It turns out you have some acting in your background. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was in high school, I did some some theater. I starred in the uh, production of Bye Bye Birdie. Because you were Just, off the chain. I was, yeah. I was like, holy cow, look at this guy. Just wailing on it. It was really, really incredible. Um, we had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we only played a, a round of it. We had eight people, actually. So I thought it was really, really fun, really interesting. Yeah. Being the cool guy, mm-hmm. it was a very interesting experience because yeah. people are going around the table just saying the sweetest, nicest things to me. Like, super nice. They're acting weird, but they're saying really, really nice things to me. And I was feeling, I was lifted up. I was like, oh, man, you know what? Maybe the Japanese are onto something. This feels really good. 
I'm feeling awesome until I realized that six of those people are lying to me. (laughs) (laughs) But again, the the point is, and I'm a strong believer in this, uh, and this is like a great, you know, it's hard to call this really a a game in the traditional sense. It's kind of like a, like a social experience, you know, that has a, a game mechanic in it with the points with the cards. Yeah. But um, the point being that acknowledgement works. Yes, it does. Acknowledgement, like, you know, just in your everyday life, you know, try it out. Like you can, you can play this game, you know, just without the cards, right? Yeah. Just pick an emotion and, and uh, acknowledge people throughout your day. See how many people you can acknowledge. And it's amazing that the, the impact that it makes, whether you're being sincere or not, Yes. No, it's true. Because even though I knew people were lying to me, yeah. I still felt great. It still felt great. It still felt great. Yeah. And it we, only takes like 30 seconds. I had no idea. Yeah. You know? I had no idea how starved I am for that. Everybody And is. that means everybody is starved for yeah, that because is. I think I get a fair amount of, of praise, right? Mm-hmm. I think I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't think, I don't think I'm, I'm not a person that is ignored. Right. Right. Yep. So for me to feel such a such a charge out of that uh, means that as a culture we are probably just horribly horribly starved for this and and it's a really important thing to bring forward and maybe maybe slightly more for for artists and creative types uh, more than other people sure young maybe. people what? Especially in this day and age, young oh, people, young teenagers. people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I have to continually. It, it is a lesson I have to keep reminding myself of frequently with my kids. I yeah. have to be like, well, you know, I got to be the dad, and the mm-hmm. dad isn't always the fun guy, and the dad isn't always the nice guy, and you know, I, I have to keep reminding myself, or more likely, be reminded by my wife that, hey, hey, be be the soft dad too. Be that. Be that. You know, be that encourager, exactly. and that's a really, really important. Uh, but interesting, interesting game. Look forward to playing it more. I think it probably plays best around four or five yeah. instead of you know seven eight or eight. Or just nine, too many yeah. people. Um, but a very, very interesting game. Uh, Hansa Teutonica, uh, we haven't talked about on this in a long time, but it was a, a very, very important game. Um, the, the mechanic that you see in games like Terra Mystica, mm-hmm. that you see in you know, Gaia Project that you see in Eclipse and all of these games um, really started, or at least one of the first games to do that, which was you have a board in which you are unlocking abilities on that board. The Your action on the map, on the main game board, is to unlock things on your personal board that gives you uh, additional abilities. That started in Hansa Titanica, and it is a great game. Andreas Stedding uh, did a great job of, of, uh, of bringing it to us. And uh, there is a expansion for that. Not an expansion, I'm sorry. There is a deluxe edition that is going to be coming out this year for Hansa Titanica, and it should have the additional maps. I think the uh, if there was a criticism of the original game, the action that gives you more actions yeah. in almost all of these games... Right is a highly, highly desirable and highly fought-after thing. And it just so happens in the original game, that action space was duly blessed. It was a it was a very good space to go for more than one reason. And then in the second map that they put out, the second map board that they put out, uh, that was mitigated to some degree. And I think it made a, a for a more competitive board. Another thing I'll say is that people, when we talk about travel games, when we talk about games that you could just pack up and take mm-hmm. with you and travel... 
I'm always looking for what is something meaty that I can bring because usually small form means a little bit of lack of right. meat on the bones to some degree. Hansa Titanica, nobody thinks about this way because it does have a traditional sized board. Right. But it, it's flat pack. I mean, the whole game, tiny little cubes, tiny little discs, yeah. and fl- everything else is completely flat. And there's not a lot of cubes or discs in there. I take this game often when I travel. It is a really, really great uh, game to take out with you and, and uh, take just about anywhere. We played it in Japan. We played it in Osaka last year with Paul and um, Alfred and our friend Matt Patterson. And uh, we had a real blast. Or, you know, or, or, yeah. Clans of Caledonia is another one of those games that came out last couple of years that has that same, you, know, oh, you start with stuff on your board and then you take it off and get more. Yeah, Clans is something we have to get back to the table. We yeah. really have to. Uh, it, it's this odd situation where uh, Terra Mystica came out mm-hmm. and everyone was blown away by it. And then a year or two later, two different games came out. There was Gaia Project and there was Clans of Caledonia. And all of those were essentially Terra Mystica-like games that improved on the base model in several ways. They just improved on them in very different directions. Now, having played them both, I think Gaia Project is... I've said this before. I think Gaia Project is amazing. I think it's absolutely incredible. That said... I've played a lot of Clans of Caledonia, and I have loved it every time I I play it. Mm -hmm. So even though I probably, you know, if if I had to throw one game in the trash and keep one game, I would probably keep Gaia Project. It's still an amazing game, and I have fond memories of playing it at this weird little German punk bar in, Mm. in Essen, when we went to when we went to Essen, it was the the hot game there, oh, wow. and they had an open game day at this um, at this little punk bar, and uh, so I'm, I'm there, and there's thrash music going on in the background. Everybody's grabbing beers. It's the sweetest, nicest German people in the world, and we're playing this game of Scottish Lords, and uh, really, really enjoy that. It's good. I'm glad you were, I'm glad you brought that up because that is a really good game. And then last but not least, um, Parks. We we've talked about Parks a lot. I have a copy of it. It was given to me. I can't remember who it was given to me by, but I don't think it was the designer. And um, Henry Audubon created a gorgeous game. Like one of them, it, it, last year was a year of particular beauty mm-hmm. in game design. And I don't mean that in the design itself, but I mean that the art and the, the way a game looks on the table. There were so many games that looked absolutely beautiful from Clask to this to Wingspan. Just so many really, really gorgeous games. Dimitri and Jesse and our friend Christopher played that and really, really enjoyed it. They thought it was a great game. That's it for Games Night this week. Let's talk about the news. Good evening, Mr. 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 South American. All the ships and clippers at sea. Let's go to France. Uh, we're going to start with something that is not entirely game news, but is news, which is the Wuhan coronavirus. Everybody's talking about it. We got a little pandemic on our hands. Um, we like to play pandemic. We like to play pandemic legacy. We do not like to play that in real, real life. life. Yeah. Really bad. So tons of airlines are canceling flights and all sorts of stuff is going on. So hopefully we're getting toward uh, containing this sort of thing. Um, but as we know, tons and tons of the things from our hobby come from China now. Matter of fact, the, the majority of, of production of games comes from China. 
So there have been a, a couple of articles that have come out that have been talking about that. Pandasaurus Games uh, put out the uh, business of board games, Wuhan corona, coronavirus, and the board game industry. Uh, it was an article that came out last week, which is really sweet. I mean, let's first let's start by saying that um, of the many things that are going to be affected by the coronavirus, oh, this could not be more of an asterisk, more of a side note. We hope that this the, this virus gets wiped out quickly. We hope that the loss of life is very, very small. We hope that everyone does well and, uh, and that this isn't something that has a huge and devastating effect on the population of China and the population of the world. Uh, but that said, everyone's always asking what is going to do for this or that or the other thing because a, the second largest economy in the world is essentially being shut down. Uh, interesting things that they were talking about, and uh, uh, I'll just say that I have a, uh, a I'm working with some people professionally uh, in China on a project, and so I, I know this firsthand. It just so happens that this time of peak coronavirus, when they're shutting everything down, happens to be Chinese New Year. Mm. Now, Chinese New Year is probably the closest to Christmas of anything, in the sense that. People take off, you know, factories shut down almost uh, for weeks, two weeks, three weeks, even four weeks sometimes people shut down, and it's a massive, massive holiday, which is to say that the the article goes into some detail about saying the initial problem that that would create is not that bad because these are the two or three or four weeks where normally there wouldn't be a lot of business going on, right? Um, most board game designers, most board game producers, the companies factor in this date, these time, this time, and know that nothing is going to be produced during this period of time anyway. So that's already kind of factored in. Now, how long the coronavirus goes from now, that's an open question. We'll see. And then the other thing is that Hong Kong shipping, most of these games end up shipping out of, uh, out of Hong Kong or out of Shanghai, and that is been, has been slowed to a trickle and might be slowed to a trickle for some time. And even if it's slowed to a trickle just for a little bit, the backlog of things that are going to need to be shipped, sometimes that's months and months and months in there. So uh, all, all I'll say is, is that as far as the gaming industry goes, uh, for right now, everything is looking okay. The longer this drags on, though, um, you know, you, we we probably are going to be looking forward to um, longer than usual Kickstarter delays um, and and situations uh, like that, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll see. We'll see. Um but on the other side of it, there were some people on BGG that were in a general gaming forum that were asking about, I have a game that is coming to me from China mm-hmm. that was produced during this time. What should I do to disinfect the game and so on and so forth? And luckily, there were some very smart people there that were just going into it and saying, nope, viruses can't survive, That you know, the, the length of time and all that sort of stuff just doesn't happen. So for anybody, I, I don't think we necessarily have too many listeners that uh, that that would be a worry for, but we just want to say that uh, that anything that gets to you off of a boat that has traveled all the way across the Pacific Ocean, it is going to be just fine, right? The uh, viruses, especially, do not last long and do not live long. Uh, bacteria, mold, things like that; those are more capable of hanging on and causing a problem later on, but not viruses. So we do not have to worry about that at all. Um, 
remember when we talked a couple of weeks ago, Elder, we talked about uh, the, a, the Today Show and their horrible list of great games to, yeah. to get? Mm-hmm. Well, Polygon, uh, which is a, sort of, you know, you'd expect Polygon to do a better job. Yeah. But they just put out an article that had the best board games to buy at Target. Mm. Which is literally, when we were talking about the Today Show, he said, if you just did the best games to buy at Target, you could come up with such a better list than this junk that they put out. Right. Well, guess what? <laughs> Let's talk about what they put on their list. Um, I'll start with the sad news. They didn't put Jaws on the list. Yeah. That's, which is too bad because yeah. I, I love that game. But mm-hmm. let's talk about what they did do. They did Seven Wonders, right? Yeah. I think, listen, for people that are not in the Euro game hobby, you could do a lot worse than starting with Seven Wonders. Sure. Uh, they did A Fake Artist Goes to New York, which is, you know, sort of Pictionary slash Telestrations-ish. I'm fine with that. That's all right. Azul, mm-hmm. they put on the list, which was great. Cards Against Humanity. So, mm-hmm. okay, fine. Yeah. Whatever. Catan Jr. I don't know why Catan Jr., but the person writes, I personally don't like Settlers of Catan all that much. It's a terribly social game and one that requires a fair bit of secrecy and strategy. I'm like, what? (laughs) All right. Secrecy, really? I'm like, I don't think you're playing that right, but okay. We'll see. Coup, they did that. Uh, The Dungeons and Dragons Essential Kit. Furglers, which I've never heard of, but uh, King Domino, which is a good choice. That's good. Magic the Gathering Game Night, Pandemic, mm-hmm. Sagrada. So they're picking some decent games. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, it's not bad. Telestrations and uh, Disney Villainous, which, as I mentioned, is actually not a bad game. I want to try that, actually. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it, it, I love asymmetrical strategy, period. I will try anything that is asymmetrical strategy, even if it is very light and very nerfed. But, um, yeah, to, to do that for kids. My my brother, whose kids all game, um, his second daughter, it's it's all she wants to do. She mm-hmm. just loved And she was the girl that, that was way into uh, Santorini before that. Oh, okay. And she's way into Disney Villainous. So mm-hmm. eh, we're going to have to maybe check it out and see if we can try that. But I'll say, Polygon, you did a good job. It's really nice mm-hmm. to have... You know, to, to have somebody that's not, you know, sort of on the edge of the hobby and to make some thoughtful choices about what are games that uh, a wide audience might appreciate. And uh, I think they did a pretty darn good job when it comes right down to it. Yeah, I have to I have to say Target has uh, come a long way in the last couple of years as far as their, you know, selection of games. Like, you know, I think even more so than, you know, Toys R Us has had its issues Oh, big you time, know, right? Last couple of years, but you know, I, I that's one of those things I can't help myself but doing when you know I go to, you know, a Target or a, a Toys R Us, which I rarely do, probably more often Target, right? Oh yeah, I, and I I have to go to the game section and just see what happens to be there. What and, do they have and what don't they have? Yeah, yeah. So a recent surprise is um, uh, Wakanda Forever. Oh yeah, which is kind of an interesting game. Yeah, um, <laughs> that that's there at Target. Um, uh, you can actually get on Mars through no. through Target online. Seriously, somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was looking for how to buy it online, and and tar- Target app popped up, so you can get in the store, but you can order it through Target. That's which is interesting. wild. Yeah. Holy cow! That's yeah. amazing. Yep. Um, yeah. So there's there's definitely some interesting. You know, kind of like 
interesting licensing properties that wind up in board games like you know again jaws mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then there's some stuff that's like kind of like in the middle like a little heavier than you might think would be at a target you know yeah well let's say this in the, in the last 10 years yeah. the selection of target has changed radically yeah. they still have most of the stuff that they used to have yeah. but now there is there is quite a decent number of games that they have that are that that we would consider crossovers right yeah. Yeah, which is pretty great. Uh, it's pretty amazing. I'm really, ha- I'm really happy to hear that. My favorite thing, whenever I go to Germany, is I go to Toys R Us or I go mm-hmm. to to the game, whatever the regular toy store is, right. because those play the Germans know how to do it. Yeah. Holy cow! First of all, the toys that they have there, they have these like huge handmade wooden like mm. castles with with the wooden figures in them and. It's amazing what they have. I'm like, what the? How, how come we don't have anything like this? We have the cheapest junk here, and they have this most amazing stuff. And then you go to the game aisle, and holy cow, they have everything. Yeah. They have everything, and it's and it's not like they don't even segregate because Sorry will be right next to Sagrada, which will be you know right next to Stone Age. And I'm right. like, what? I don't wow. Oh, it's amazing. Absolutely love it. Um, speaking of German game publishers, Ravensburger has made an announcement. There is going to be a new Steffenfeld game, and this new Steffenfeld game isn't going to be just new. It's going to be old. This is Castles of Tuscany. All we have seen is the box cover. Yeah. That's all we know, and people are flipping out. Yeah. And and there's a line somewhere I read that could be similar to Castles of Burgundy. So I heard that too. Yes. It's probably like a reimagining, I would guess, right? Like it's definitely going to be more than an expansion. We'll see. You know, I played um <clears throat> and I know we it's been mentioned on the pod too. Uh Marco Polo 2. Yes. Actually, yes. you guys reviewed it, right? No, we didn't review. Yeah. We 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 gave uh we did talk about we talked it. About we it talked about how we episode. you know, we, yeah. we played it several times right. uh in, in the last few months. Yeah. So I played it last weekend and yeah, there was there was rampant discussion in my group about um you know, like really like kind of joking about it like it's a totally new game, but it's really not. And, you know, <laughs> like, like, so it's kind of interesting. And it, it seems to be kind of a trend, you know, like taking some of these, you know, like more classic. Ba- I also saw in there, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but Puerto Rico. Oh, yeah. To, yeah, yeah. to see, you know, what happens there. If, if it's just going to be a reprinting, you know, new artwork or if they're actually going to, you know, have another expansion or if anything else is going to change. It is. A, you, listen, a brand extension is something all board game designers should have the right to do, and yeah. probably should do more. Right. Uwe Rosenberg, who we're going to be talking about today, is probably the king of that. Yeah. Probably nobody has done more of that than he has. Yeah. When we go over his career in a few minutes, um, I'll be talking about that. I'll be talking about how this is a guy that uh, that that figures out a figures out a good cow and good cash cow and milks the heck out of it. Sure. Um, so I don't think that's necessarily bad as, as long as, you know, I, I do really appreciate designers that come at their next design with a, with a more blank canvas and try something really different. Now they're going to have more misses, right? Their, their batting average is probably going to be lower. Um, but they're advancing the hobby more than people that are, that are putting out things that are very similar to the, the things that they did put out. Mm-hmm. 
you know, for me personally, I don't think I like Marco Polo too better than I like Marco Polo. Mm. I I see the I see the design decisions, and I see yeah. you know exactly what has been changed. But I think they've made a softer, less uh, less tough game yeah. in some ways. Um, there are a couple things that I really, really like about it that I really prefer to the original, but I think it has, there are so many ways to mitigate everything that the game feels a little, maybe a little samey. It, it, you know, listen, it's still early yet. I haven't played it enough times to, to say anything definitive, but yeah, I, I'm not sure that I like that better. So I wonder, will I like Castles of Tuscany as much or, or better than Castles of Burgundy? It's hard. Burgundy yeah. is amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's it's so a couple of things. Like one is Feld for a while. There was my favorite designer. Mm-hmm. I feel like I haven't been as excited about his last uh, few games, and a couple of them actually, like Merlin, was actually like a. I had a lot of dis. I was <sighs> I was uh, disappointed by the Rosenberg release that year too, which. Was it News- Newsford? Newsford? Would Newsford. You, do Newsford. you like Newsford? I do. It's a good game. Okay. Actually, it's it's one of the. Um, I feel about Newsford the way you feel about Oren Labora. <laughs> ah, really? Well, maybe not quite that strong, wow. but I do think it's one of these games that kind of got overlooked and is quite decent. Actually, it's wow. it's quite interesting. Let's put it this way: if you're saying if you're putting Newsford in the same category as Merlin, yeah, uh, we have something to talk about because oh, yeah. <laughs> Merlin, Merlin is a dumpster fire. Okay, <laughs> Merlin is is Stefan Feld deciding I'm going to do a huge, mass, massive produced, hugely overproduced yeah. game through Queen Games that is about Merlin and the Knights of the Round Table. And guess what? I'm bringing back Roll and Move. Yeah. It's a Roll and Move game, but yeah. it's not your daddy's Roll and Move game because here are all the seven different ways you can mitigate what you roll. Which essentially makes it. Why are you even using that mechanic? It was horrible. Yeah. I really, we. It was. I think Maddie and Trey and I, because we were at SM the year it came out, and I think it was one of the first two or three games we we purchased there. And the first night, when everything closed down, we ate some dinner. We punched it all out, and we were just like, "Oh, here we go, here we go, here we go." We played it, and at the end, we all just sort of sat there, like shell shocked. Like, mm. this is a, this is not good. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really disappointing when you're, you know, again, like your favorite or one of your favorite designers comes out with a highly anticipated game, and you play it, and you're like, it just kind of falls flat, right? Yeah, it's it's not it's not the best. But yeah. listen, Stefan Feld had a had a time. He had a tear. I, to me, I still think Castles of Burgundy is my favorite of his. Yeah. But uh, I will say that uh, in the name of the no, what's the dragon? The the the, the what's the Chinese themed one? Um, Year of the Dragon. Year of the Dragon. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. In the Year of the Dragon, um, Bora Bora. Yeah, I like Bora Bora. Trajan. Trajan's I, strong. I really yeah. like. I really like Trajan. He did a lot of good games in yeah. a row. And if he's getting back to that with this, maybe this is the way he comes back. He's, he looks at his, uh, as at an older design that was his sort of patented uh, point salad design system, yeah. and and comes up with a with a new way to approach that. I'm all in. Yeah, I recently played. Um, what's the other new one that came out, which I thought was okay? Uh, uh, Carpe Diem. Carpe Diem. I thought it was okay. I heard it was okay. Yeah, it's it's okay. But again, it's like for a while there, he was like. He was like the guy. Now, um, you know, 
it's it's uh it's our man Vital is my my favorite designer currently. He's pretty good. Um, the other thing I wanted to say real quick is just that the, back to the point about the um, kind of franchising or expanding on mm-hmm. games. Mm-hmm. Um, I really um, find interesting what the guys are doing with the whole. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, Paladins of the West Kingdom and Architects, and that's got an expansion coming out. And yep. I love that artwork, those characters, and so this this idea of doing um, the using some kind of like the same mechanisms, but I really feel like those are all very different games, right? Like I didn't like the North Sea game at all. Mm -hmm. You know, I was totally binging on architects. You love architects. I love architects. I'm I'm finding the, the, the kind of value in Paladins. I've been kind of binging that a little bit the Mm -hmm. last couple of weeks. Um, Curious to see what they come out next with, but I, I I like that idea that I think they're executing on very well. Yeah, they're doing you know they're historically set games. Mm-hmm. They share an art style that is very strong and very you know bold bold choices as far as that goes. Um, and they are all worker placement that work in slightly different ways between them, but they they share a bunch of uh, of elements in common. Um, they all have uh, tracks where you're moving mm-hmm. up or down in in various values. So yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, I, I like Architects quite a bit. Um, it's not one of my favorite games, but I, I certainly admire it. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm on record as not liking Paladins because yeah. it's. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because it, you know, I, I like to play with my friends. I like to play games with friends. I've actually found it in, in the the folks that I've played with to be a bit more interactive, though. Like I found yeah. the interactivity. I mean, you you got to fight. You got to fight to interact yeah. with people, and yeah. I, I'm not, not not a fan of that. And uh, and and Raiders, I thought was you know. It was the first game I had seen of that type, and right. because of that, I was like, "Oh, this is interesting. This yeah. is this is cool." I didn't I didn't love it, but I was definitely recognizing, "Okay, this is a new voice out here, and that's a really good thing." Yeah, totally agree with that. There is a new game from Martin Wallace, Rocket Man, Rocket Men, I should say. <laughs> One to four players, deck building, tabletop game. Martin Wallace. It does not look heavy. It looks like a lighter Wallace. All right mm-hmm. now, lighter. Uh, yeah. Do you like lighter Wallace? I don't really like lighter Wallace too much. Not, not so much. I mean, and it's it's only going to get so so light with him, right? Well, I mean, uh, like what is the Wildlands that he did? I don't think I've played that one. Okay. So. Yeah, he he does some stuff that's that's pretty light on the uh, on the spectrum of things. And the Wildlands isn't that isn't that light, but it's mm-hmm. definitely um, not what it could be. Uh, I'm a sucker for for realistic science fiction, sure. you know, like um, space exploration yeah. and, and that sort of stuff as a theme. This has got that going on. Um, it is on Kickstarter right now. It is backed. It was fifty two thousand dollar goal. It's at one hundred and sixty one as of today. And when you hear this recording, if you hear it on Monday, you got about a day or two left to back it. So mm. take a look at it, dive in, see what you think, and uh, maybe get it. Listen. Martin Wallace, not not everything he does is is a hit, but he is a formidable designer. He is really yeah. amazing. So check out Rockham and see if it might be for you. Yeah, and I mean this is interesting because it's like it's kind of like the the thing that happens in Hollywood sometimes where you like I feel like this careful is, this is <laughs> careful <laughs> this is a reaction to um, 
you know, the extreme success of terraforming Mars, you know, yes, which, which I, I'm not a fan of terraforming Mars at all. Um, I love on Mars. We, we welcome everybody to the mic, whether your opinion is right or wrong. Mm -hmm. So you, you're, you're welcome. Yeah. And, and I, I, I feel like now we're seeing this, uh, rash of games that are uh, yeah. with the theme of uh, doing something with Mars, some aspect of On this Mars, the first Martians, right? Yeah. And so on and so forth. And, and everybody's got their kind of like different takes, with that, which I like the, I, you know, just looking at that happening, kind of like this one seems to be, it's, it's more about getting to Mars, right? Yes, this is, this is closer to, to High Frontier or Leaving Earth. Right. Both of which I own. I am. This is my. Mm. <laughs> if if there's a little niche genre that right. is that is my thing. That's my little hidden pleasure. Yeah. It's definitely this. Like like I probably have played more games of High Frontier than any virtually anybody that you've ever that you've ever met. I absolutely wow. love and adore that game, and, and my son and I play it all the time. Wow. He was like ten years old, and I was teaching him how to play High Frontier, which is a notoriously difficult game to understand. And now. Dude, he could he could do a mission to Titan. He could do a mission to you know to he could orbit Neptune and return with a solar you know with with a solar sail. The guy is he he knows exactly what to do. He's got the system down. So uh, it's it it's it, it's one of those things that uh, it's going to be hard for me not to back this. We'll see we'll see if I do or if I if I don't. But uh, it's definitely hard. Uh, we talked about Cole Worley's new game, Oath. Well, I'm happy to tell you that there is a print and play that is available mm. right now. Maddie has already printed it out. <laughs> I believe he may have already laminated it. And uh, there's a darn good chance that uh, that he and I and maybe somebody else in, from the podcast will be playing it this week. Yeah. And we, you know, we're not going to, I think our policy will be that we will generally not review a game until it is officially released so that we can play the actual physical release. But we're going to be happy to tease you. Mm -hmm. tease you for a long long time about this game before it comes out we're very much looking forward to this it looks really cool so this one seems to be following on another one of the the trends that we're seeing um which is the has some type of legacy or or campaign element to it yeah i'm, I'm gonna go with campaign element as okay. opposed to to legacy just in the sense that the legacy really seems to be defined as you are marring, changing, permanently yeah. making the game A versus B. Whereas this, these are these are ways to extend the game and the gameplay. Though it actually, I guess Oath might be more legacy because what you the decisions that have been made in the past change the game state forever going forward. So maybe yeah. it is more legacy in this case. So, uh, you know what? I withdraw that comment. I think you're. I think you're right. Um, yeah, I think all of these people that are, are are doing a good job of saying, how do we get you to play the game on plays eleven through twenty? Yeah, what about twenty one through thirty? Right. How how long does this game stay there? And people are are I think the consumers we're getting better as consumers. We're getting a little more uh, choosy and picky in terms of what we buy and why we buy it, and if. A game tells you that, oh, dude, you could play this hundreds of times and it's never going to be the same because it's going to be evolving and it's evolving based on what you did. Mm. And in particular, with this one, you don't have to have the same players from time to time, from, right. from game to game. I suppose in Gloomhaven and the others, you don't technically have to, but essentially you kind of have to, yeah. whereas this is designed a, a little bit differently than that, which is really cool. I, I Yeah, I, I think that's a really good, really good development in the hobby. Mm -hmm. 
not you know and make the game good first <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely and it's you know it, it's it, it kind of goes at odds with you know the frustration which is a it's a great problem to have now because you know this came up again in that same conversation um last week about uh, marco polo 2 is, is there's so many games that come out every year now you know as compared to you know when we started you know 15 what 20 years ago there's and, and so it's yeah. like you know when you got a limited amount of time and you're you're in that space of trying to figure out what to play next with your on your game night with your group. Yep. It's like, do you play the campaign game? You know, which is going to be a little bit different, and everybody knows how to play it, maybe. Or, you know, is the new hotness always going to win out? You know, is that, that exactly? Tension? Yeah. Which is which is a particular problem for when you know when you're hosting a board gaming podcast you were almost forced to be playing the hot newness, which is why I was very happy when you said you wanted to review or at Labora because you know, you put, you pulled me back to my roots. You pulled me back to a good place. Let's just talk about a couple last things in the news. There is a game called a war of whispers, which uh, came out in 2019. We didn't really talk about it yet, but it is uh, out now and available. Jeremy Stoltzis, I'm going to say Stoltzius is the uh, designer Tomasz Jurasek and Dan May are the artists. Interesting game. Two to four players. This is supposed to be like a Dune or a Game of Thrones that plays in an hour Mm. that you can teach in 10 minutes. The idea being that each person has, you know, we are the spies that are affecting the armies and the things on the board. So I'm not the red army. I'm not the blue army. I'm not the green army. I'm not the yellow army. I'm not any of those. I am a spy. And at the beginning of the game, I get the five tokens for the red, the blue, the, and all the different colors of the armies. And I mix them up face down. And then I put them on a mat. And one of the mat pieces, one of the mat spaces says, you want this faction to win. Hmm. The one says, you want this faction to come in second. One says, I don't care about this faction. And the other one is, you want to see this faction utterly destroyed. (laughs) Right? And you know what those are. And then the actions you're taking are affecting things on the the board. Uh, Hmm. I think it's a really good idea. That's interesting. I really like it. Listen, uh, the problems are thus. The problems, there are, um, there was a game called Clans. I don't know if you ever played it way Hmm. back when, where you People did not know at the beginning of the game who was who. You know who you are. You know what color you represent. But you have no idea what other people represent. And so part of the game would be making moves that helped multiple colors so that you didn't give away what color you were. Mm. The problem is is that inevitably, you know, the, the, the number of options of who you could be dwindled fairly early on and then the game became slightly less interesting. All right. This could be that same sort of situation. The other thing is, is that since everybody is randomly determining who they are, what happens if in a four-player game, two people have the same faction that is supposed to win? Right. That faction is going to win really easily. What if one person has the opposite of that? That that faction has to lose. They're in a bad situation. Now, there is a mitigating factor, which is somewhere around halfway through the game, you can swap two of the tokens. Oh. But in doing so, you have to flip them face up. So you have to mm-hmm. sort of announce... Uh, things in order to do that. I'll just say that if it takes an hour, if it you can 
figure it you if you figure the game out in 10 yeah. 15 minutes that very well might earn a space in our in our uh, lineup here because the amount of times when we're going to have a game that finishes early and all of a sudden we mm-hmm. got an hour to kill that sounds like a lot of fun for an hour yeah for an hour yeah right yep if it works i think that could be really interesting a war of whispers uh and let's do just one more alma mater is going to come out in 2020 Flaminia Brazzini, Virginio Gili, Stefano Luperto, and Antonio Tinto are the designers. You know them. You know so many games that they have done. Uh, the artist is going to be Chris Williams. And this is, uh, each of us is going to be the headmaster of an independent university in the 15th century. <laughs> uh, the art looks great. I love the theme. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I do wonder, like, why why 15th century? Why did you have to do the 15th century university? Why not the the modern day? Why not, you know, I don't know. Maybe I I can't really tell. Yeah. Um, we don't know exactly when the game is coming out, but you know, these are some of our favorite hottest designers out right now. So, the moment we heard that this game was coming out, we felt like we should let you know. Let's uh, let's stop there. We got a couple more things because you know what? No, we're gonna talk about one last thing. Sorry. Um, I want to talk about this. This is a very interesting Time Magazine article that was out this week. It's at uh, time.com. Uh, it talks about a war game that was played in 1942. Uh, Britain was getting slammed by the German U-boat campaign. Mm-hmm. They were losing so many tons of shipping. They were losing you know, food. They were losing fuel. They were losing you know, everything that they needed for the... Uh, for the war effort, and they had to come up with some answers as to how to out-strategize the Germans because the Germans just just had a much better system. So they came up with something called the WATU, W-A-T-U, the Western Approaches Tactical Unit, which was one uh, captain named uh, uh, Roberts and a bunch of women that were, you know, if you think about the Enigma machine and 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 the code breaking that they were doing uh, out there, and there were a lot of women that were working on that. This is kind of like that, but just with gaming. They turned the third, the top floor of this building, which had a big, huge open floor, and they turned that floor into the North Atlantic Ocean. It was a game board. Yeah. They had uh, big model ships. They had model submarines, and. They knew, you know, all the distances for each tile told you how far that ship will go. They know the speed of these ships and and this and the other thing. And they started wargaming. They started saying, okay, you guys are the U-boats. Sink as many of these as you can. And by doing that, they started to figure out relatively quickly what the best tactics were. Like, what was the best way for the U-boats to sink all of these ships? They figured out pretty early on that, you know, some of the women suddenly started um, steaming on the surface toward the ships from the rear. They were following in their wake. And then they would fire their torpedoes at close range, and then they would dive under, and they would just sit there. They wouldn't travel. They wouldn't go anywhere. They would just dive dive fairly deep and just sit there and wait. And while the people that were playing the the ship convoys 
uh, they didn't know what was going on until eventually they f- they started to figure it out and they realized, oh my God, this is this is a totally different tactic that we had never seen. Um, and that changed entirely how they would do it because most of the ships were under certain assumptions. They were under the assumptions that the German U-boats would be sitting in the water, they would dive, and they would wait for you to get close, and then they would rise and, and, and fire, all, all that sort of stuff. No, not the case. That they, were, they actually did more surface runs and then dive to hide at the end because they, they could outpace the, uh, the convoy ships that way. That was the way they would be able to do that. Sure enough, there were you know, it's a it's it's a Hollywood movie. It's a, the the yeah. classic story of the admiral who was very dismissive of this whole exercise. Like <laughs> you're not going to teach our trained sailors, you know, our, our our best are out there fighting the Jerry's every day, and you're not going to teach us something with some some. You're gonna you're gonna figure out strategy by playing a game like. Oh as well, <laughs> and and these women are going to be telling us out of war, but sure enough. They took, told the general to come up. They played the game right in front of him, mm-hmm. and he was uh, crestfallen mm-hmm. because he was he was realizing that that looks right. That look like all of the reports they're getting of how the ships are being sunk, everything that's going on seems to be that way. And they made just some very small changes, like the lookouts were looking every direction except directly behind them. Right, they right. were they were figuring that that was most likely not the direction that the U boats would be coming from, and then when they would try and uh, find the subs after they attacked, they were assuming that the subs would be heading off in this direction or that direction or that direction, and instead by doing triangulation and just circling around the very same area, finding those subs and sinking them. Well, once they sent out those orders, things changed overnight. Mm-hmm. So guess what? Gaming, war gaming. Board gaming helped save the world from fascism, people. All right? <laughs> all right? Our hobby matters. All right? And if you're particularly interested in it, um, this is all based on a book that came out just last year, at the end of last year. It is called A Game of Birds and Wolves by Simon Parkin, the young, young women who helped play, who played to win World War II. Mm. Check that out. I thought that was a, a really great uh, a really great thing. Yeah. Um, let's move on to... The segment that I always hate to hear the music for, but I always love the segment. Games of the Brain. Games. Games of the Brain. These are games we like to play. These are games stuck on our brains. Oh, baby. Elder, what's on your brain? I got a game on my brain big time, but I want to know what's on your brain right now. On Mars. <laughs> you were you gave up playing it today to do this podcast is that correct i did oh no it's so good yeah it's really good it's so good i I'm, I'm it's killing me that i'm not playing it more right now i need to get that back to the table yeah. immediately Wait, are you because you're figuring out strategies. You're you're learning things about the game, and I I know I'm falling behind the learning curve already, and it's just going to be punishing. Yeah, I, I didn't want to fall behind the curve on this one. I wanted to, my goal was to get, I think five plays in as soon as I could, and I I think I'm at five now. I'm at four or five. Okay. Um, and definitely there's there's some um, you know, the timing of the it does end kind of abruptly. And so there's, there's, it's sort of a race to the end. And when it happens, it can happen, you know, it's a sort of dominoes fall immediately. Right. 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 Yeah. 
and and there's some interesting uh, in-game stuff with contracts and, and you know how many advanced buildings. But um, and also it's like once once everybody knows, mm-hmm. the game gets it, it can be incredibly cutthroat. Like the way oh. you can cut people off on the board, and and it just gets it gets like really incredibly tactical. It can be. Uh, depending on a player, so I I I'm I just, love that. Yeah, I I know I I again I think it's a gate a great game for for the group. Um, I just think it's a great game in general. I think I think this may um, I have to give it probably about three or four more plays, but I think it may um, become my favorite over the gallerist every game. High so, praise indeed, but yeah. I gotta tell you that I'm starting to get that sensation uh, um, myself. Yeah. I think my favorite Rosen, uh, my favorite uh, Lacerda is um, Kanban. But okay, uh, yeah, Kanban's great. I, I I love Kanban. My problem with Kanban is I feel like I have to completely relearn it every time I play it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's you know. kind of one of the things I love about it is yeah. that it really is so different than than everything else. It's it's a really unique design. Yeah, which is interesting because learning is a part is like a, almost a mechanism in the game, like the whole thing <laughs> with with the books. Right? <laughs> it really is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. On my brain right now is diplomacy. Mm. Do you want to know why it's diplomacy? <laughs> Elder, you know why it's diplomacy. I know why. We have started a diplomacy game. <laughs> we, we're playing an online diplomacy game. It is myself. It is Elder. It is Trey. It is Jesse. And it is three people that are uh, no longer at our gaming table. It is Maddie. It is Alfred. And it is Paul. So we got a guy in Boston. We got a guy in Florida. That's a great thing about the about the online gaming. It's we a can do it. Game. Yeah. Well, right now we're 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 just playing sort of a test one year thing to make sure everyone knows exactly how to do it and stuff like that. And um, I've been underwhelmed so far at the level of diplomacy, but uh, you know, hopefully that'll 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 pick up uh, before long, and we'll see how things go. Yeah. Interestingly, we were playing it in in such a way that you don't uh, overtly know who is playing what power. So, what I would love to do is uh, before we stop this game and and start the the full one, I would love to have people write down who they think is who mm. and see how good we are at hiding who we are. It'll be interesting to see, yeah. but. Uh, so far, so good. Do you want to tell me who you are, Elder? Tell me who you are. Mm. Tell me who you are. It's a secret. Ah, damn it. I think you might already know, though. We'll <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting that this is one of those games that, you know, of course, I've heard about being in a hobby a long time and was told just to never play just because <laughs> I would just hate the people who I played with. And so I it is have. a risk. Let's say it's a risk. Yeah. But I think, look, I think we're all I think we're all big boys and girls. I think yeah. we can I think we can handle this just fine. Right. I think we'll get through it. I, but I, we'll see. We have all stabbed each other in the face plenty of times sitting directly yeah. like staring at you sitting across the table from exactly. you. It has happened. So I think, I think all the Avalon play has primed the group for, <laughs> for this situation. I, I could not agree. So much of a devastating impact. So we'll see more. That is fantastic. Update on the eight by eight challenge. We have done nothing to uh, advance the eight by eight challenge, <laughs> which is a little bit of an issue because we're kind of, I think we're only, we may have two months left or something oh, like that. Right. I, I have to look back and see exactly when we started the eight by eight challenge, but we may be in, in the danger zone and we have to cracking. figure, we may have to, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've succeeded wildly at some and we failed utterly miserably at others. So yeah. uh, we'll see what we can do. 
let's get into the. Uh, do, you, do you want to do the review first, or do you want to do the uh, segment first? What do you, what's your druthers? Hmm. Interesting. I think let's do the review first, and then uh, yeah. Tale of the Tape, Aura et Labora is a 2011 uh, release. It was by Uwe Rosenberg. The artist was Clemens Franz, and the publisher was uh, Lookout Games, etc., etc., etc. I think Lookout Games is the publisher now of the new edition that is about to come out. Um, when you look at this game, it looks a little bit like uh, Gricola. It really, you know, Clemens Franz and so on and so forth. Uh, it is the story of, tell us, what is, what is the game about? Uh, the the story is about a um, you're a, a, a basically a monastery I think you start off as right so mm-hmm. you're you're you know a couple of monks and a, and a prior and um, throughout the game you are expanding from that point your original monastery or, or village into the settlements you know four or five settlements you get to build during the game with multiple buildings that happen all around them and each one of those buildings uh, is an action space for your workers, right? Um, also in the midst of this, you are, um, you know, you're farming, uh, you're selling things, you're, you know, creating, um, you know, different, uh, uh, you know, like straw and, and, and sheep and, <laughs> and clay and, you know, you're basically building and creating all these different resources that you can use in different ways uh, throughout the game, ultimately to earn victory points. And then also there's a special uh, um, set of resources, right? Like mm-hmm. There's a Bible and there's a reliquary reliquary, and, and um, this pot, <laughs> an urn or a pot. So there's these, these other little uh, like, you know, three it's a very Catholic other, game. Let's just say yeah. that. Let's yeah. just say that. Yeah. You're, 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 you're building and expanding a monastery mm-hmm. and the community that is growing up around that. Yes. And there are two different versions of the game that you can play. They they all come with the base game, and one is you can play it in Ireland, mm-hmm. and the other one is you can play it in France. Yeah. Uh, the difference is significant. The, yeah. uh, the A large number of the buildings are completely different. Mm-hmm from one version to the other. And even the resources are different. In France, uh, you could be making bread, you could be making wine. In England, I mean in uh, Ireland, oh my goodness. <laughs> in Ireland, uh, you could be making beer and whiskey, yeah. which I find only slightly offensive. <laughs> <laughs> While being historically accurate. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, so interesting things about the game. You start off with a small hand of cards that are settlements. Mm-hmm. Settlements are going to be things that you're going to put down on your on your board and build. And they're going to score points. They score a small amount of points themselves. They score a large amount of points by the buildings that are orthogonally adjacent to them. The building to their north, south, east, and west all score with that building. So by putting settlements in a checkerboard fashion or even next to each other in the right in the right fashion, you can score the points that one building has for their settlement point value multiple times, sometimes two, three, possibly even four, four times, uh, four times which could be a huge, huge uh, uh, benefit in the sense that you're spending the same amount of resources to build these buildings, but you can get bonuses that are that are calculated two, three, four times. Uh, which could be a huge thing. So one of the big ways to score points is to build settlements around your monastery 
and to populate the, to put buildings around them that are going to increase the value of that settlement. Um, that's one way. Another way is by collecting and upgrading resources. You can make the aforementioned bread. You can make the aforementioned wine. And then there are things that will turn, you trade in a wine and a bread into the monastery and they will give you uh, the, the Bibles. They will give you holy books, which are worth victory points at the end of the game. They will give you reliquaries, which hold, you know, you know, you know uh, precious things of the faith, which give you a lot more victory points and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of things that you can get points for, all the way up to things called wonders, which mm. are worth 30 points in the game each. Oftentimes, uh, in the last game we played, there were a couple ways to get them. One was to have four of the most expensive special things that you could have and trade those in for a 30-point wonder. And another one was to have 13 different kinds of goods Mm-hmm. and trade in 13 different kinds of goods and to, to get a uh, a wonder that way which is really really interesting because that tells you there's a lot of good, lot of different types of goodness in this game and yeah. in truth i think we figured out somewhere around 18 right yeah somewhere somewhere 15 and 18 somewhere in there it might be 16 i think 16 is like the sweet spot when we yeah. get I think the entire game yeah. has 22 different types of goods, but right. any particular... Uh, Depending on what version. Exactly. If you're playing Ireland, some are there and some are not there. Yep. Um, which is very, very interesting and very, very complicated. The buildings that are available each part of the game um, start to send you down a path, mm-hmm. but not really. Right. Because there's something called the work order. What's the work order? The work order is a way that you can uh, pay an opponent to use their building slash uh, worker space. And um, it starts off just by you just have to pay them one coin. Um, but in each version of the game, there is a special building that once it is built, then that uh, price doubles to two. Um, but there is another way around work orders, which is an interesting mechanic where um, – and the one version of the game where there's whiskey and then in the France version where you have wine, you can uh, take that whiskey or wine um, over to uh, your opponent, offer that to them, get them drunk, and then they'll do the work order for free. I don't think it has anything to do with them getting drunk. I mean, these are, these are <laughs> men of the cloth, okay? It is, it is about them accepting that as a, a sacred tribute, yes. and um, I'm sure they put it in a, in a deep cell somewhere, and then they give it to the, the abbot or something along those lines. Um, so, which is to say that you have only three workers. You have two regular monks, and you have a prior. The prior is a sort of higher-level monk. The prior is only different in one sense. When you build a building, if your prior is available, he can go right on that building, activate it immediately, and take the benefit of it, which is great because in a game where everyone has the same number of actions, you know, 20, 30, 40 actions in the entire game, this is a way to essentially get two actions on one turn. Mm -hmm. You'd play that right, and you can get some serious points. You can do some serious uh, damage that way. But being able to pay somebody else to use their workers on their own buildings can sometimes be really good for the person who is getting paid because money is a very valuable thing to have in this game. You can buy additional territories. You start off with just a plot of land that has trees on it, that has um, peat bogs. You have to clear those trees and clear those peat bogs to build on those sorts of spaces, which makes it very much like uh, Greek farmers on the moor, Mm -hmm. which we'll talk about in a second. Um, 
but in addition, you could build more um, lowlands, more highlands, more. You can build coastland. You can build mountain areas uh, on various sides of the board um, at a slowly increasing cost over the course of the game, uh, which is which is an interesting uh, mechanic. Being able to pay somebody to put their worker on a space makes this game more than multiplayer solitaire, mm-hmm. right? Because you are buying buildings from a common stock, which is not multiplayer solitaire because, oh, you built the building that I wanted to build, mm-hmm. right? Um, I put my worker on this space and I take this resource. Now there's none of that resource left. That makes it not multiplayer solitaire because it creates a situation where, oh, I wish I had done that. Elder was unfortunately to my left this last game we played. <laughs> and oh, the, the, the small little sound of disappointment as I did the thing that he was about to do is just... It's just one of the most precious things in life. You really have to hear it. It's like it's it's like a little baby bird dying. It's absolutely wonderful. I highly encourage you guys try it. And it happened at least two or three times. <laughs> I think it was like two or three times in a row at one point. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm just in fuego right now. I get, we, Elder and I were sort of heading the, heading the same way for a little bit right. until we eventually diverted, and then then that happened less. But it it, it does happen a lot. I, uh, so let's let's just talk about Uwe Rosenberg for a second. Sure. Um, his first big game was in 1997, which was Bonanza, mm-hmm. which is an amazing game. It really is. It's one of the one of the most unique card games ever. I've never seen another game that plays that way that card game does. Yep. Um, and then for the next ten years, he put out a couple other small games, but he kept putting out expansions and expansions and expansions to Bonanza, just tons and tons of them. He, this mm. is a guy that that okay, I got a hit here. I'm going to milk this for every cent that it's worth. And guess what? Those expansions are pretty good. They're yeah. they're really interesting. And then in 2007, he, he made a sharp right turn, and he made Agricola, mm-hmm. which changed everything. And yeah. then he put out uh, several expansions to that. In 2008, he put out La Havre, mm-hmm. another one of my favorite games. Absolutely love it. 2009, At the Gates of Loyang, which I, is a good game. It's a good, if, if it wasn't for the fact that La Havre and Agricola came before it, uh, it might be a tremendously well-regarded game. But uh, in comparison to those two, not quite as much. In 2009, he also put out a expansion to Agricola called Farmers on the Moor, which just between you, me, and the uh, and the wall is the better way to play Agricola. Mm. I love Farmers on the Moor. I mm. think it's a better game. It, the everyone says that Agricola is an amazing game, but everybody has to do family growth. You right. can't you can't avoid it, and because you have to do that. Uh, a certain amount of your choices are going to be more scripted than you might want them to be, sure. right? Yep. Because you because you have to expand your house, which means you have to get the wood, or you have to get the reed, and you have to do this, and you have to do these sorts of things. And sure, when somebody else has done that before you, you have a hard choice, and you got to choose what else you're going to do. But it does it does take some choices out of out of the category of being hard choices and become the oh clearly I have to do a as opposed to B. Yeah. Farmers on the Moor does a fairly decent job of combating that. Now, you still want family growth. You still want to increase the size of your family, but now you've got to heat your home. Mm. And instead of having a wide-open space in which you can build anything you want, you have forests and you have peat bogs, and you have to clear them before you can start building things that you want. And those peat bogs are really important because that peat is the stuff that you're going to burn to heat your house. Mm. The bigger your house, 
which in original Agricola is what you want because that's how you can have more family members so you can take more actions, all of a sudden requires more heat. So now there is an added burden to increasing your family size, and that burden is significant. Mm. It slows down the family growth in the game, and it makes other plays a lot more palatable and a lot more interesting. It's a really good expansion. I highly recommend it. And I'm bringing it up because Aura and Labora does a very similar thing. And, mm-hmm. and there's no family growth. There's no expansion. You have the same number of actions. The only way to get more actions is to use your prior to take an action. Some buildings essentially give you a whole second action in them. But those are very, very expensive buildings. And you're essentially you're giving up on building two, three, or four different things in order to build these one things that give you a very a, a very strong advantage. The idea that you take these resources and you clear the space, which allows you to build buildings there, uh, started with uh, with Farmers on the Moor. And mm. I think Orin Labor does a really, really good job of building that. But the most interesting thing about Orin Labor probably is the resource wheel. Mm. It's a real... Uh, how do I put this? I didn't. I bought Oren Labora. I've had it sitting on my shelf. Sure. When I go and look, and what games am I going to sell? I've never even considered selling it. Yeah. But I also haven't played it in years. Mm. Haven't. Just haven't. I I played it. I thought, oh, this is a really good game. I think I still prefer Greekola, especially if I'm playing Farmers on the Moor. So I was really happy when you said, "Let's let I want to review this," you know, because it's been going for a lot of money on eBay, and now they're coming out with another reprinting of it and i'm really happy that they are uh and i was happy to get the game out and i have to say oh i love this game elder <laughs> i love this game yeah, so good. it is so cool it is so much fun it's so interesting it plays so differently every time there's so many different strategies really good hard meaty decisions that you have to make constantly in the game thank you thank you thank you for bringing it back to me but yeah. let's talk about that resource wheel because the most different thing about the game and probably the most elegant thing about the game is this resource wheel you like i said you've got uh, the the game comes with 22 different resources any particular game is playing with probably 18 different resources Um, and it all springs from the core six resources that you can that you start the game with your sheep your wheat your uh, clay, your um, wood, peat, money and, and money. Yep. Right. It starts with those, and then there'll be a couple more. The stone will come in later in the game sure. as a as as a main resource, not exactly a basic resource. Yep. Tell us how the wheel works. Yeah. So the wheel is set up um, so that at the very start of the game, all the resources that are at zero, um, the needle that goes around um, is um, it's doing a couple different things. So mm-hmm. it's marking the rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also telling you when you can build the settlements because you can't build them at any time, right? Um, and it's also tracking uh, how the resources expand in the game, right? So as the wheel uh, continues to move around and nobody takes a particular resource, then that resource will um, will grow and, and get to be more, right? For instance, if you have... Uh, the straw start on the zero space. Once it moves two or three times, um, then um, you know three, four, or five straw um, will then be available for the player who takes it. When um, the player takes it, which requires moving one of your workers 
um, to a building, to an action space, mm -hmm. then they take that marker and move it down to zero, and now that's gone, right? Um, Which can is, be devastating. It could be devastating. You, it, again, the timing is so um, interesting in this game. You could be, you know, like just really need that five or six grain, and you're just about to take it, and then the player takes it before you, or you really need that wood because settlements are coming up. Mm -hmm. um, they're vital to your strategy. Like, it, you know, not getting the resources that you need. It happened to me last night, actually, where I had to wait two or three rounds to get stone, which I needed to build another building. You and I both had the quarries. We were the two people in the game that built quarries, yep. so we can take that. Yep. And somebody paid you mm -hmm. to put your own darn worker right. on your own stone quarry. Yeah. And you can't refuse and they, contracts. And you can't refuse them. So they took your stone. Yeah. They took your stone. Now... I told them that they shouldn't do that, that, yeah. you know, that you have a violent temper, that, right. you know, you've done time and that you, <laughs> you're not afraid to go back, but they did not listen. It was, it, it, it is a really, really interesting thing that there, that the choices that you have, like, uh, Pete is at six. Yeah. If I cut Pete right now, I'm going to open up a space on my board right. to put down another building Yeah. and I'm going to get six Pete which I don't directly need, but each peat is worth two heat. And all of the uh, settlements that you're building, most of them require a certain amount of heat. Three heat, five heat, six heat. They, they can require some serious heat. And you need to build these settlements. When the settlement phase happens, yeah. everybody builds one settlement. It is a really important thing to do. But is that the right thing for me to do? It's at exactly. six. Somebody's going to take it eventually. Somebody Are they going to take it now? Yeah. But at the same time, I look over and my friend Elder has exactly the, the resources necessary to build that building that's out there. I have the same resources. Oh, do I build the building? Because if I take the peat, he might snake the building from me. If I take the building, he's definitely taking the peat. And then I might not have enough uh, heat generation to do what I need to do afterwards. It creates some wonderful, wonderful... Uh, uh, really complicated uh, math that you're going to do in the game. And I would say that in some games of, uh, of a lot of resource management games, yeah. there will be resources that just don't really play into the way the game panned out this sure. time, right? That, oh, you know what? This resource was really kind of undervalued in this game and everybody kind of ignored it. Yep. You can't ignore any resource in this game because yeah. eventually it's going to get up to take one action and get seven or eight of something. Right. And I don't care. I don't care how devalued it is. If you're getting seven or eight or something, there's things you can do with every single one of them. Yep. And there is not a resource in the game that there isn't some building that has a way of converting that into something much, much better. Exactly. And this is one of the wonderful spaces of the of the game is that is that tension when the resources really get high. And and again, I I feel like it always happens to me at least once or twice during the game where, you know, you say that, that phrase, that's, that's just too much grain to leave out there. Yeah. Too much clay to leave out there. I got to take it or money, right? Like there's some games where you'll see money will get up to like seven or eight and it's like, I got to take it. Right. Oh yeah. You don't ever have to. And again, like, I think that's one of the, that's one of the great puzzles of the game is deciding. Cause I think it's, you know, winning the game is, is I think 
greatly determined. Is it and actually play, bringing it back up? Even though I have I played it, you know, a lot more recently. I try to play or at least a few times a year. Mm-hmm. It's definitely one of my favorite games. Just one of Jennifer's favorite games. So if we're together, it's always an, an option to get it onto the table. But um, playing it this round in preparation for for um, for this episode, um, I definitely got a different perspective um, on the game and and. Um, and particularly the end game, right? Because you played it with a bunch of jerks. Well, <laughs> I, I would I wouldn't say that, but <laughs> <laughs> he's nodding. No. <laughs> he is nodding right now. Um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting because I used to be, you know, again I didn't win either one of the sessions that we played. Right? True. Um, True. I think I, you came in a second in both, or second yes. and third, like like. The scores were very close. Uh, there was a runaway two games ago, right? But uh, the other three people were really, really close. Yeah. And then this last night's game, was super everybody nice. was close. I mean, yeah. I think I think the first and last place were separated by 10, 15 points maximum, and the top score was two hundred and twenty. Right. So everybody was right up there. Yeah, and and that's you know, um, I think that's a winning score two twenty two twenty five. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. And it's really about that last thirty points. Like, how are you going to get that thirty points? Yep. Which which really requires buying one of those big. There's a big building in either one that has like a ton of points on it, right? I built both the palace and, and the castle, right? And exactly. I didn't win. Yeah, and and again, like, and and three points shy, right? And and how that's combated is again by building the wonders, right? Now again, those wonders are. 30 points but again you got to depending on how you do it you have to turn in 14 15 points to get it so it's only a 15 point swing right but if you do that twice it's 30 points but again even that might not be enough to win something else has to happen like again in, in this particular case you know you got blocked from doing something that you know would have earned you some more points and then there was which is part of the game i mean that's it yeah absolutely it was a good it was a good move on david's part to uh to to do exactly that and it it brought him across the finish line It, it does seem that you know, I, I focused in both games on settlement strategy. I was getting yeah. big settlement points, building really good buildings next to them. In this particular game, people were using my buildings all the time. Yeah, I was collecting massive amounts, of money. massive amounts of money. Yeah. Uh, but that comes at a cost, right? right. I, I had build, I had turns when I desperately needed to use one of my own guys on a building, and I didn't have didn't any have. available. Yep. So that'll that'll slow you down real fast. Yeah. There is. There is something, I, I think there might be a strategy in this game where do not buy the most desirable buildings, or at least don't buy too many of them. Right, but again, you can't... It, it, you can't entirely predict what that's going to be. Yeah, and, and also what the other players are going to do, yep. right? If they're yep. ignoring your buildings because they got something cooler to do on their own board or they have another direction, or, it, again, it's just so situational, which, I, again, is part of what I think makes the game so interesting and fun and, and just very interactive. Um and and it just it's just a the experience of so when I you know when I teach the game, mm-hmm. I make it a point to um, describe it as a um, uh, a settlement building game, yes. right? With resource management in it. It's very good that you do that, by right. the way, because I do think that um, the 
cheapest points to get in the game are settlement related. Yeah. And everything else has the costs are built in. Yeah. The costs are, are have been mathed out by Uva Rosenberg right. and he knows what they are. But because you can get you can score a building multiple times when you have multiple settlements next to it, you can get a multiple a multiplicative effect on right. some uh, some buildings, and that and that can really up your score. Right, and you you want to target, I think, um, an average, I would say, of about at least eighteen points per settlement. You're gonna you're gonna get to build uh, most likely five settlements again if you you want to target as an in game goal building that six one mm-hmm. in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like and I think in both games you scored a hundred points. Uh, just on settlements, that. that's right. which made the difference. I, my settlement game the first time, again, I don't know what I was doing <laughs> that first game. <laughs> I think part of what was going on was I was trying to be the the kind of the teacher, um, the teacher of the game, and so making sure everybody, you know, there's a lot of stuff to follow. Um, yeah, you, your uh, head, your head was not in the in the game competitively, yeah. and I, I cleaned your clock. I, I stole your I stole your wallet. I apologize. Yes, yes. Um, uh, uh, my settlement game was much better. The second, the second game was a lot more focused. I felt like those the, the other players had a, a much better ha- handle, grasp on the game. Yeah. Um, but that said, you know, like I again, I think about my earlier scores where I used to get like over two hundred. I was like more competitive. Also, the game plays I think a lot differently between w- whether there's three players or four players. Oh yeah, that's true. So yeah, the scores can vary a lot that way too. But the you know one of the things I, again, I love to win, right? I love to win a game sure. as much as anybody else. Something I think one of the things that keeps bringing me back to this game and why like I, I consistently play it is that I don't care as much. There's something about the experience of this game, this slow building and the you know accumulating these resources and these options to make these big moves. Like I was really impressed by um, you know a gentleman next to me who who had that really big. Um, uh, what was it? Bread move? Oh, he Aaron! Yeah, he Aaron. turned he turned like like twenty <laughs> flour into yeah. bread, yeah, and it just think, was massive. Yeah, I think that was like the biggest you know of those I've ever seen before. And then he was able to take the the wood and and uh, I guess straw that he had left over and convert mm-hmm. that into like a good like ten twelve points of one of the buildings. So I, I think that's something that that's missing from a lot of games is um, you know just the ability to um you know make a really big move there's something really satisfying yeah when you make yeah. a 20 30 point play in a game that you know you can win with 220 points and it's something i've talked about in the past about tangibility yeah uh agricola is amazing because even if you come in last place look i had this farm that it started with nothing and look at this farm Look at the little fences and look at all the little animals that are in that fence and the ones that are in that one. And look, look at all those fields and look at all the grain that's piled up. That's amazing. That's beautiful. Yeah. I came in dead last, but I feel like I, I like my little farm yeah. that I built. It feels really good. This game is only slightly less tangible than that yeah. because you are. You're, you look at all these settlements and look at the castle that I built up on the hill and uh, look at the, uh, the, the, the fishing village I have down by the sea and all those sorts of things. And what you were saying, Aaron's got just all of these resources next to his board miles and miles of bread i mean he's opened multiple bakeries and you know and i had all of this these casks of wine that were sitting there and it does yeah there is a uh 
there is a built-in satisfaction in in playing a game that has a high level of tangibility where the abstract is made real and you can see before you and you can get a sense of accomplishment regardless of what the score is and that's always great so um it sounds like you're sort of on the fence on this one (laughs) a little feeling a little (laughs) so-so yeah definitely my favorite of of his games um uh, this is this i mean it has lahav and it has agricola and it has farmers on the moor it's kind of a combination of all three of those games because lahav famously paul it it is it is paul's white whale it's the Mm. game that paul lahav paul just can't figure his way through that game Mm. and invariably it comes down to the situation where fish are kind of devalued in that game at a certain point later in the game and they'll pile up and there'll be like 10 fish 12 fish on the uh, on the space and we're always looking at paul saying don't do it paul don't do it and he always takes the fish Uh, always does but it's that's just like that wheel it's just like the wheel at a certain point it just makes sense, and you kind of have to do it. Right. It's just hilarious that it always ends up being him. But uh, yeah, uh, when it comes out, Oren Labora should be something that you consider. That's something that you look at. If you like the games like Agricola, if you like games like Lahav, if you haven't played games like these, you should play those first and see if you like them. Mm. If you do, you're going to love Oren Labora. It is fantastic. The fact that there are two different games in the same box that the uh, that the Irish side and the French side play considerably different. The buildings are very different. And so even though you're still playing the same game, yeah. it's not like the major strategies change, right? but all of the paths change. Yeah, All the paths to get to those strategies change. So we cannot recommend it more highly. Oren Labora should be coming out very, very soon. Should be in, uh, in, in stores uh, any day, any month now. Yeah. And I've, I've also been, you know, thinking for quite a long time about doing a Africa expansion. That would be for this game. That would be great. <laughs> Medieval um, Africa is not a theme that, that really a lot of people know much about at all. Uh, and I think there could be some, and it's very rich, as you can imagine, that oh, period I, between kind of Egyptian and slavery. And I think I think it would be really cool to kind of play around with that space and, and come up with some different resources and... Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. And by the way, you, you cannot copyright a mechanic, so yeah. it doesn't need to be an expansion. It can just exactly. be your, your, your game. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I'll probably will start there. And, and again, I have thought that it might actually translate into a whole other game. So um, one of these days, I might, I might start it tomorrow. Uh, Do it. Yeah. I would, love to, I would love to play test that with you. I would awesome. love to check that out. Awesome. Let's move on to the group member specific segment. We're going to be talking about the joys of resource management as if we haven't already. Mm. We've kind of been talking about that. Yeah. Um, Elder, this is your favorite thing. Yes. In games. Yep. If there was one thing that that all of your favorite games or most of your favorite games have in common, it is this uh, resource management. What is what is the attraction to you? What is the big deal? Again, I think probably a lot of it comes from from this game and, and similar games to it. But there, I think there's something about that, um, you know, accumulating of um, of stuff, of resources, and having a variety of of that to play around with in the game, um, and to use that for different things to get victory points. You know, I like, um, you know, I, I I don't know if I would say I'm I'm necessarily a fan of point salad 
per se. I kind of feel like that. Term I think you kind of are a little bit, though. Uh, I mean, you 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 like Steffenfeld more than most of us do. Yes, this is. So I like I like Steffenfeld a lot. I yeah. I'm, I don't have any problem with him, but I think you're more you're more of his banner man than we than yes. we are. Yes, and and I think it's more. I think it's it's kind of gotten. I kind of feel like that term is a little derogatory, and that you know yeah. the, the game is is it maybe means to people that it's not as focused or that you know um, it's not as tight a design because there's just all these little ways to get points. Yeah, or not as know? trackable. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, um, it's not as tight a design. You know, um, I just it like, definitely could be more multiplayer solitaire. It could be sometimes, right? It could because be. because if I could be off here doing C, D, and E, yep. and you're doing A, B, and X, right. right? Then then we're not having a lot of interaction. Yeah. So I I, I understand that. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I just I think I just like the idea of having having a choice um, about how to score points and being able to score points in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Uh, which is something that again, or uh, offers, you know, tremendously um, and, you know, games that are there to similar to that. And I, I think, that, I don't know, there's just something about having a bunch of, like, I remember, I, I think I had an inkling that this was like kind of one of my big things in games before, but I just remember specifically there is a game called Altaplana. That came Altiplano, out. absolutely, yeah. yeah. The the uh, thinking man's bag builder. Yes, exactly, right. And when I when I looked at that game, I was like, I was maybe I downloaded the rules PDF or I looked at some pictures on the Geek or whatever, and I saw that this game has sixteen resources, and I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I'm like, I just love that, and like, I like, I think that's really when it hit me that like that's really like a thing for me is like, you know, and again, a, a game could I haven't. I don't think I've I can I can't think of one right now anyway where there's a game that um that has a bunch of resources and it's just a bad game right like I'm sure that that's easy to happen right oh yeah no I could probably name a bunch of them but yeah, yeah. It, it's not it, it, they're just games we would never consider playing right exactly right um but when you can pull it off right mm-hmm. when you can make a really great game design that has a bunch of resources and I think also Again, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call myself because um, there's crafting involved too, right? So it's it's not just Sometimes. having 16 different resources that, in and of themselves, can be used for different things. Um, it's this idea of well, if I take this resource and this resource and combine it with these other ones, then I can make something else that's more valuable. Okay, so you're being very specific about resource management. Yes. You're you're talking about a very specific part of that because resource management is a is a larger umbrella term. Yes. Um, Power Grid, yeah, is a resource management game. Yes, we. Uh, I want to power these cities. I have built these things, but in order to do that, I've got power plants that are going to need fuel. Yes, and there is a market out there, mm-hmm. and there are four different types of resources, and they are starting at different prices, and they have different scarcity at the moment. And I can buy a different plant to switch the kind of resource that I am trying to gather. Mm-hmm. And I have to figure the price point on that, right? Um, to me, even though I don't really play Power Grid anymore, I've always loved that yeah. system, even though it's only four resources, right? Sure. It's just, uh, or five. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a very small number of resources, but it creates a tremendously robust um, sure. economic and, and, and market system with just those. Um, Bonanza I talked about. Mm-hmm. Let me talk about Bonanza for a second. This is a card game 
in which we are bean planters. Right. We are planting beans. We have a hand of cards that are shuffled up, huge deck of cards, and there are blue beans and pinto beans and this bean and that bean and all these different kinds of beans. And they are going to score points based on their scarcity. So mm -hmm. if there are 22 of that bean in the deck, you're going to need to put down six of those beans before that bean field can be harvested for a coin. Mm-hmm. If you harvest nine of them, it's worth two coins and so on and so forth, right? Whereas if you have one of the beans that is very rare and there's only seven of these in the whole deck, then just two beans in that field and you're going to be able to harvest that for one coin and so on and so forth. The trick to the game is that your cards cannot change order. Right. The card on the le the leftmost card in your hand when you fan those cards out is the the next card that you must play. And you can only have two working bean fields at any given time. Mm. So I have four of one kind of bean in one, my, one of my fields, and the other one I've got six. And they're so close to getting that second coin or that first coin. But the first bean in my hand is a, the wrong type of bean. It's neither of those other two. And if I don't trade this with somebody else, if I don't get somebody to take this somehow, mm. I'm going to have to uproot one of those two fields and plant this stupid bean that I don't want to have in the first place. In some ways, you could say that is a one of the most stripped down uh, resource management games sure. that you've ever heard of because yeah. the only difference between any of these things is how many of those cards are in the deck. Right. And because of that, the math of how many of you have, you have to have to score points, but it creates the situation where I've never played a trading game where trading was more fierce, more frenetic, and more like pe I'm giving people I'm giving people everything just so they take the thing I don't want to have mm. because I can't change the the order mm. of, uh, the order of things. Uh, to me, I, I, it doesn't really fit in your definition, but that's that's a resource management game that I that, that I love when I when I think of resource management do, do do those sorts of things fire you up too or is it is it mostly is it is crafting the key for you again i think it's it's and again resource management is pretty broad and again i think it's very interesting that you know again you can't find it specifically as a search topic on the geek it's right? really and weird it's so but but when you look at individual games mm -hmm. it's there oh yeah right um as an aspect or an element um Again, I think there's something I can't quite put my finger on it, but I think there's just something about having, um, you know, again, like a, a, a bunch of different resources. And it seems like 16 seems <laughs> like 16 to 20 seems like a, a really interesting number to me in a, in a game space um, that can be used for different things. And there's different, you know, you have to take different actions to get them or build them and that you can combine them and, you know, there's just something about that. And there, there's a whole nother aspect of, of resource management, which is, you know, I think what you're talking about, which is the value of the resources. So you, you can get into kind of like a stock market, which I think is very interesting, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then there's, um, you know, I think specifically the, the management of the resources, like basically how you're kind of controlling the resources that you have mm -hmm. um, versus, um the resources that are that are in the game and versus the resources that other players have. Yeah. Yes. Right? Like, do, yes. do you, do, is there, you know, there's a, um, if I have a certain resource, if I just have more than you, then that's somehow advancing me in the game because it, it, 
you know, gives me more points or allows me to do something else. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe if I have more of something than, than anybody else, maybe there's an action or something that I can take that nobody else can take because I have the most of. Or a lot of times in games, that's a that's a victory condition, right? Sure. Um, if you have the most of something, then you get certain amount of points. Yeah, I mean, Orlebora is is a great example that um, there are resources in that game that are primarily building resources. Yes. You are getting those to get the cards that will allow you to do more things. Mm-hmm. Then there are the resources that are the trading resources or the crafting resources. Mm-hmm that you're getting that resource to make that into a different resource. And then you're going to use those resources to make it into a different resource. And each time you're upping the inherent value of what those things are. Sometimes you're taking eight of something and making four of something else, but those four of something else are inherently significantly more valuable, Mm -hmm. Um, which uh, which is interesting. What I love is when there isn't that dichotomy. Mm. And sometimes in Orlebora that happens where I have to make a hard choice between using this resource to build something or saving this resource in order to upgrade it into the more valuable things. Sure. Um, I like games that do that. I'm just going to tell you, Terraforming Mars, which you have already slandered on this broadcast, is a resource management game. I know. You start with eight different resources at various levels that you generate. They can be used in a variety of, of different ways and different combinations. In addition, you have the tags on every single card you play. That is another 8 to 10 to 12 resources that you are managing in the game that you are literally, you need three science tags in order to play this card that is key to your strategy. That is the very same thing as I need to get three more wood in order to build this building. It yeah. is the It is the same thing. Yeah, I think part of what happened uh, with me about my, and this has happened with other games, is that, um, again, like, you know, the learning curve, right? Yeah. Like, again, mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure I got a certain other place <laughs> of on Mars. I didn't want to get left behind because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. terraforming Mars, by the time I got into that one, boy, like, people had already, you know, really, like, well, I don't know if you've played it with with our group in a while because I don't think I ever played it with with the Game Brain group. Dude, you should play with the Game Brainers because the fact of the matter is is that we with you sharks we place no we play so many different things. We're not you know we're we're not playing thirty games of terraforming yeah, see, Mars and, and that, in, and in a month. And that's who I I played it with people who were were playing. It. I think they had like ten twenty plays. They already knew all the cards. They already had the metas worked out. I could name the people right now. I'm not going to do it, but I could yeah. name the people that you played with yeah. and they will suck the fun out of a lot of things because they do that but the sad thing is, is that you're the binge gamer you do that same yeah, thing too you I have the exact too. same tendencies i know i know it right whereas us we try to be we try to be good at a lot of things right. but we don't have the we don't have the time to play one game 20 times because yeah. we, we have a lot of other so things to play games. and a lot of other interests yeah. i don't know I, I, breath versus depth maybe yeah um let me let me talk about a couple other games and get your your gut on that. Sure. Have you played Keyflower? I have played Keyflower. What do you think about that? Because it's a very interesting resource management game. Because you have yeah. wood and stone sure. and, the, and these sorts of things sure. that you're that you're getting, and they're very hard to get. Sure. They're very hard to put where you need to put. You have those uh, tiles that are the yep. you know the saws and the woodcutters and, and and those sorts of things. But then you also have the men themselves <laughs> are your bidding mechanism. Yeah. But they're also what activates buildings. Yep. 
and they're actually a resource that you are either generating or losing sure. on a constant basis. Yeah. I, I just think as a resource management game, it's a really fascinating example to me of that. It is many, it's far less than, than your 16 to 20 resources sure. that you could do different things with. Um, but to me, because the pieces that you use to get resources is itself a resource, is a really, really interesting wrinkle that makes the permutations of that fascinating. Yeah. Well, what I get from your question, so I, I really appreciate the design of Keyflower. I've mm -hmm. played it again recently. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I don't like my resource management games too tight. And I feel like Keyflower is too tight. Keyflower is very tight. That's true. I feel like you just do not have, you never have enough meeples. <laughs> right? It's so difficult to, you know, um, uh, trigger your buildings and move the resources around. Yeah, it really um, is. It's 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 just super tight, and I don't, I don't think I like that. So you, let me put it in a different way and see if you agree with this. Sure. You prefer a puzzle of possibilities, yes. as to uh, as opposed to a puzzle of finding a solution to something that seems impossible. Well. Do you know what I mean by that? It's yes, like, it's like I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't word exactly that way, but yes, mm -hmm. right. I would say more about um, it's not a matter of of um, of the latter way you described it, um, but that is that is too difficult, or that it. And again, sometimes I do like I mean solving scarcity maybe is is the well, way to put like it. Like in barrage, right? Yes, you know I I I I think barrage is a, a great game. I. I, again, I don't know if I enjoy barrage, <laughs> right? But I I enjoy the the kind of tightness and frustration of it. The the few times that I've played, I only have a few plays under my belt, but I think it's a really interesting design and and you know again, it's resource management. It's got that that interesting wheel and it's and it's too tight, which again, normally I don't go for. Yep. But in that particular uh, permutation of it, it worked. Uh, it it, 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 it kind of works for me. Okay, at, at least enough where I want to play it some more. Gotcha. You know, but I think typically I definitely like the more open space where where resources are, are easier to get, and it's it's not nearly so tight. And it's really more about you know how can I best manage these resources versus the other players? How can I maximize on victory points mm -hmm. with all the different choices and all the different resources that I have? Gotcha. Yeah. So then, okay, so then my last thing, my two favorite resource games okay. are Roads and Boats and Antiquity. Okay, which I haven't played either one. I know really? these are classics. I have not played them. Oh, because I, I'm trying to figure out where you're going to fall on that. Mm. I think you may not like them that much. Yeah. Because they are, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. They are sandboxy. Sure. Which you would like, right? Because I have a list. Of, here's a list of thirty different buildings I can build. Mm -hmm. Here's ten things I can build with one wood. Here's eight things I can build with one stone. Here's the thing. Here's the the three amazing things that I can build with only two stone. So boom, just generate that and build these things. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but the games are punishing. Yeah, they are punishing. In roads and boats. Um, you're using resources to create buildings that create other resources, which right. is classic, right? Sure. But the trick is you don't own any of it. Mm. So 
anybody can come by and pick up anything that is sitting there. If it's not on mm. one of your transport vehicles, if it's not sitting on a donkey or on a cart or on a, a, a raft that you own, right. you don't own any of that. Yeah. So the logistics of that are, are maddening. And then in antiquity, it's even worse. You're using resources to create buildings that create resources, mm. but everything is dying mm. constantly. Mm. Everything you're doing is creating pollution. Mm. Everything you everything you pollute is creating a famine. Wow. So the city is filling up with graves. Yeah. And eventually those graves are going to stop your buildings from working. Yeah. Your countryside that you're going to try and be harvesting, you know, things out of is filling up with pollution. It's just being polluted utterly. Uh, I have a feeling that you might not love it, but... I need to see you play this. I need yeah. to. I need to introduce you to. We need to to play these games just to see what you think sure. because they are a very very different. You know, splatter, right? It, yeah. Like, they they take they take something that oh yeah I know what this game is like and you play like I have no idea what this game is. I have no idea. Yeah. What are your What are your favorite resource management games? Um, well, besides Aura, um, my other Ui game, uh, Glass Road. Yeah, uh, which I've played a ton of times. Uh, another reason why I like Glass Road so much, um, I guess this will, this is a kind of sommelier suggestion, is it plays so great in um, in an hour. So oh, it's like great, it's yeah. a very like I wouldn't categorize it as a filler, but it's like when you only got an hour left in your game night. It felt a little too open for me, so maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's because mm-hmm. it was over so quickly. Yeah. It it does end abruptly, but that's that's an interesting one where in the rules he says that you can actually like add more rounds to it. Like you can play a four, like it's only four rounds, but you can do a fifth or six. Like he said, that's totally fine, which makes the game very different because it's one of those games again where I again I hear complain a lot about Glass Road is like once you get your engine up and running, then the game's over. You know, which may be why it ends in four rounds, right? Exactly. But, but right. when you ha, have you played it, in, have crazy. you played six round, a six round, a six round? Game? I have played it before, and it's and it's and it's and it's better at four. It's a better game at four, I think. But it's interesting to do like a five or six every huh. now and then of Glass Road. Uh, so that's one we talked about. Uh, Clans of Caledonia, which I definitely want to play some more. I, I just think that's a very interesting resource management in terms of like setting things up. And um, so this was the aspect of resource management we didn't talk about is income, right? Oh, yeah. So setting things up so that every round you're getting more of them. You know what? We haven't reviewed that Clans of Caledonia yet. Ooh, that might be your next review be. with me. Sure. I would love get to it because back on the table just get an excuse get, to play that more. Sure. And and by the way, I also am dying to review uh, Antiquity and uh, mm. Roads, and, Roads and Boats. But yeah. we'll, we'll figure that out. That's awesome. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Anything else? Is there uh, anything that any any is there any hidden gem? I think Glass Road actually counts as a, a hidden gem. Is there any any other resource management game that that a lot of people may not have uh, have essayed? Oh, uh, New Amsterdam. Wow. You know what? I wait. Not New England. New Amsterdam. No, yes. I've never played New Amsterdam. Oh man, you gotta play New Amsterdam. Is that right? Yeah. New. <laughs> New Amsterdam. So it, there's a bit of a controversial theme because it's the it's the beginning of you know of of New New York, the building of New York, sure. right? Um, and the Native Americans are there, mm. and there's a mechanic in the game where you're you're basically like you're not colonizers. You're you're building up industry in New York, mm-hmm. but you're trading with the Native Americans, oh, no. and as you're doing, they're like they're on a river. 
And as you're trading with them, you're basically clearing them out, <laughs> right? And taking their land. <laughs> I was like, wondering, so, why haven't I heard of this game? I'm like, oh, that's why. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I mean, it's, oh but God. the way it's, it's handled mechanically in the game is, is a very interesting mechanism. And um, again, if, in terms of resource management, one of the reasons why I like it so much is because um, uh, every resource, there's a, uh, what is it? There, there's an there's an auction bidding. So that's another love it aspect we didn't we didn't talk about. So resource resource management in terms of bidding, right? Yes. So so as opposed to um, the game is determining or something in a game state is determining how much each one of your resources is worth. All the resources in New Amsterdam are worth exactly one. The money, the wood, the goods, everything can be boiled down to one in terms of bidding. Corn, which you need to feed your people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it's a relatively tight, not super tight uh, game. But okay. yeah, like having that bidding mechanic and being able to use everything to. And, and what you're bidding on is basically the actions that you can take mm-hmm. and uh, your turn order, which is super important in the game as well. Um, so, yeah, I would I would categorize that as a hidden hidden gem. I think I just pulled it out of storage actually um oh and also madeira which we got to get on the table again too like i love madeira a, oh man. i do i do we, we've literally Ooh. had people talking about that very very recently in in our discord channel so we're gonna have to get that so yeah. new amsterdam 2012 mm-hmm. interesting jeffrey d allers um i want you to bring this i want you to bring sure. this and i want to check that out yeah Elder, there's, thank you so much. That's amazing. What else? Anything? There, yeah, there's one other aspect about about that one, uh, New Amsterdam, where you're um, uh, so you're collecting furs, different types of furs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and those can have different values, and then you're sending those back to the old old world and getting goods, which um, again are worth uh, different money yeah. or or victory points in the game yeah oh. so there's a lot of like interesting conversion things to happen and yeah so oh. elder thanks so much that was really great hey, um, you're welcome thank you i love when somebody teaches me about a game i never i, I never even knew existed and and new amsterdam definitely fits that bill and now now they look at the cover i'm like oh i i remember seeing that game had no idea that it was this hidden gem yeah. looking forward to checking that out um, if uh, everybody out there, if you guys like um, resource management games, um, maybe start uh, telling BGG that uh, there should be some way of uh, of selecting that, some way of uh, of searching games through that. It may be that it's just too broad a term. Sure. But when I look at the specific um, mechanisms, it would be nice if there was. It's almost as though there should be a subset. That is resource management auction, resource management, you know, and so on and so forth. Yeah, but we'll see. Uh, let's do a couple game sommeliers since we uh, we haven't been doing them too much recently. Uh, we got a song for this one. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay, which game should go, which to play with mama, madame, abou. You got to tell me, monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far. Was my fiftieth player of Agricola. A million games, show me the way to the master, the game sommelier. Today I think we're going to do a couple game uh, sommelier requests that came from Discord. First one is from Cyram71, and he wrote, Tom, 
How do we tackle revisiting old games while keeping up with the new? We were literally just talking about that on this episode. Would love some tips beyond the 10 by 10, or in our case, the 8 by 8, which we have failed miserably at. (laughs) Um, (laughs) what, What do you do when you want to revisit old games and not just play the new? What are some other ways to do it besides a 10 by 10 challenge? Uh, One thing I do is my game library has a color coding system. Uh, At Staples, I went and got some very cheap, um, basically they're see-through little stickers. They're designed to go into spiral-bound notebooks to sort of highlight, oh, this is a section where you you go to that and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. They come in, you know, five different colors. And I started color coding all of my games. Each game... uh, facing out has a little sticker on it and it says this game has not been played in over a year this game has not been played in over two years this game has not been played in six months three months or this game has been played quite recently essentially is what it is and every time we play a game uh, i upgrade the sticker to the to the to the newest uh, to, to the newest sticker and it does a pretty decent job of telling me what hasn't been getting out there and so every once in a while i'll be looking through there and i'll be saying oh how on earth is it that we haven't played this game in in over two years? That's that's ridiculous. That's a crime. We need to address that. That's number one. Uh, my second thing is um, once every two months or once every month or whatever, just announce a theme night. Sure. This is old school night. Yep. Right. Tell everybody ahead of time. Get everybody set up for it. We're doing old school tonight. Come on by. I found that when we've done that, we haven't done that too often here, but we've done that occasionally. I mean, we had a whole we had a whole season that was we had a whole round that was uh, old school, mm-hmm. um, but we do occasionally do uh, theme nights here, and it tends to to increase turnout. We tend to get more people coming for that because they're like, "Ooh, okay, that sounds cool." Um, Anna, do you have any uh, any suggestions how to how to keep the old school in uh, when in under the assault of the cult of the new? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I love th- theme as well. Um, so in West Side Gamers, uh, I remember one one year. I think they do this every year. I'm not sure, but I remember one year in particular, uh, before the end of the year, he sent out uh, basically a, a, a survey or a questionnaire with um, a bunch of themes, maybe like a theme for each month or something like that, um, and said everybody put your favorite games with that theme, right? So mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it could be underwater or. Uh, resource management. Oh, or, that's great. Or um, you know, war games, two-player games, whatever. The, right. The, the the theme or the well, you know, two players more different, right? But whatever the theme was, right? Um, and then pe- people submitted their list through email, mm-hmm. and then the leader of the group basically programmed the entire year and and um, whatever the the top or most wanted game in each one of those categories would be um, the feature game of the week. And then people would have the choice when they show up to either play that game or play whatever they want. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So that's, well, that's a, a great that's, idea. That's a great system to do it. The other one I know of is um, uh, uh, basically talking with your group, right, and saying, okay, there, these are a bunch of games. I'm just having a conversation that we want to get played. Mm-hmm. And then programming them in some type of, like, randomizer app. And so, and so when you get to that, that point, um, you know, uh, that invariably happens where you're playing the game of trying to figure out what game to play, uh-huh. you say, Hey, well, we're just going to, you know, we already got a, a, a list of games. Let's just, you know, let the app decide. 
You know, oh, let, I like let that. fate decide what we're going to play. And then everybody's always already agreed ahead of time of what's in there. And then I think that's that. fantastic. I think yeah. it's a really good idea. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, the, the, um, the color coding system that I use does sort of get down to that where after a while I'm like, there's a convention coming up. What games am I going to sell? I'm running out of, uh, mm. uh, out of space for all of this sort of stuff. Everything that I haven't played in over two years, mm. you have to justify your existence to me, right? Yeah. It's almost like I need a randomizer to, to pick one out and be like, okay, sink or swim. We're either playing this in the next two weeks or you are going on the chopping block. Yep. Interesting. Uh, next question is from Thomas Kuhn. Thomas Kuhn, I believe, is the maniac out in Munich who is going to be doing that 62-mile oh. <laughs> walk in 24 hours and yeah. wants to play a game while he does so. Yeah. Uh, I believe that's you, Thomas. If not, I apologize for mixing up my German folks. Uh, hi. Next time, we'll be playing five players at our game night. Any recommendations what to play in the medium to heavy spectrum? In our group, we usually play games like Concordia, Scythe, or Orléans. Thank you. Uh, I love this question because five players is something we often run into here. Sure. We have um, less often that we have five people, more often that we have nine or, yep. or, or ten or, or, or things like that. And, yep. and sometimes uh, we'll, we'll just be, it'll just split into, uh, 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 we'll need to play a five player. So I've taken great pains to make sure that every game that plays five that is a good game that i have it right i'll have there'll be four player games that i don't have yeah there won't be many five player games that that are good meaty euros that that i don't have because the selling factor of the fact that it plays five is is so high um my favorite yeah probably my favorite runner can see a game is taj mahal mm. it plays five it plays excellent at five um, there's a game called Shogun, which is based on Wallenstein. Either one of those uh, plays five players and plays best. I'm naming games that I think play best at uh, at five players. Sure, El Grande, one of the absolute classics, is, should should basically only be played at five players. It's absolutely perfect there. Mm. I don't know how many times I have to say Santiago, but I'll say Santiago again. Is amazing at five players. Terraforming yeah. Mars plays great at five players. Elder is slitting <laughs> his own throat. Uh, La Havre, Uwe Rosenberg. Guess what? La Havre plays very well at five players. It's a very, very interesting game. Nations, which is a sort of shorter version of uh, Through the Ages, plays great at five. If you want to do a splatter at five, Indonesia is great at tough at five. Mm. And my number one game of all time, Democker, should only be played with five players. Those are my recommendations. Anything, mm. anything on your mind for the uh, for the five player zone? Yeah, I, I got a few. Nothing new. These seems to be kind of like, you know, I don't know if. Well, I guess they, they, these are all kind of all classic games. Um, Amon Ray plays great. Oh yeah, at five. Speaking of Reiner Kinesia, another Kinesia. Um, Princes of Florence. Um, oh. Princess Florence. In that era, that was my favorite. Yeah. When everyone else was was loving on uh, on Puerto Rico, sure. I was like, no, Princess Florence is the bomb. It's a great game, and I and I I kind of feel like um, I, if it exists, I haven't seen it or don't know of it, but I kind of feel like that um, mechanism of you know courting these characters and. Um, bringing them in you're trying to get these to, famous personages into yeah. your into your sphere of influence and the philosopher if you want to get him 
he needs he needs a lake. He needs right. to sit and stare at that lake, and and he loves that. Also, freedom of religion is very important to him right. because if you don't have freedom of religion, you know he, he can get into a lot of trouble. So, and over the course of the game, you're getting these various fe- you know features like parks and, right. and and all that sort of stuff, and putting them in your palazzo. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's a yeah. really smart design, and the fact that uh, I love auction games. It's, it's a it's a very mm. interesting take on the auction game, and it was one of the first games that really used polyonimo. In, a, in an interesting way, you know, trying to figure out the spatial puzzle of yep. your uh, of your piazza is, is really interesting. Yep, and uh, Puerto Rico. Yep. Again, a lot of people argue it's not it's not good at five because maybe it's too cutthroat, or you know, the seed order, and um, if you have inexperienced players, and the whole you know, if somebody ships or if somebody yeah, there's potentially a know, fifth player problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that. There are a lot of games where people are like, yeah, you know, it plays to five, but really nobody should ever play with more than four yeah. or three. Yeah. I almost never agree with that. Yeah, me I too. almost never agree with that. It's all, I'm almost always like, just put more players in there. Right. It's it's not, what you're sensing is chaos is, is a harder puzzle. Sure. Right? I yep. like that. That's a good thing. Yep. Dude, that's great. Yep. That's fantastic. Um. People, uh, I just want to say one thing on a, on a slightly personal note. Um, I wrote, uh, I was sort of the first sort of the uh, story designer for a VR game that has just come out last week. It is doing gangbusters. It's getting great reviews. It is called The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners. It is currently available on Oculus. It's available on Vive. If you have any of those systems or if you can borrow one from somebody, uh, we're really proud of it. It really turned out amazing. Um, when I say when I say we, my I sort of was laying down the uh, the the story, the characters, the setting, the world, uh, all of that sort of stuff. And then these these great game designers uh, uh, took it and ran with it, and they've created an absolutely amazing game. You should check it out if you can. Uh, it is called Saints and Sinners: The Walking Dead. Saints and Sinners. Really proud of that. We have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Game Brain Pod. We have a Facebook group, a Discord channel that is getting a lot of activity. Mm-hmm. Please get in those board game sommelier questions. We would always love to have more of those. Uh, you can find us, yeah, pretty much that's where you can find us in, in, on social media. And uh, Elder, thank you so much. Thank it's you. always a pleasure to sit down and talk with you, man. Your your uh, your your years and years of experience. It's always a, a it's always a really interesting conversation with you because you and I have been you know around for a long time, and and we, you and I we, we could have had a fifteen minute conversation about Amon Ray right now. Yeah, right. It's absolutely. just it's just really really <laughs> it's really really cool. You've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You might know him as Alfred. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can also reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening, and go play some games with friends, or go Go make make some friends with games. games.